Gilmore, and you're listening to showboozmonkeys.com. Around this town, I'm alright. Around this town, I'm alright. I mean, no consequence when you're playing with the fire. Courtney Gilmore, yes. you're having the time of your life right now. I am. I'm actually having the time of my life. It's right now. (laughs) Like, not specifically with me, but it's a good time for you. With you too, but yes. Uh, yeah, I'm having a good. I'm having a good week, a good time. Yeah, comedy. Everything's going pretty, pretty swimmingly. Uh, for those that don't know, you just won the Just for Laughs Homegrown competition. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two, uh, two women co-won together, which is amazing. What was it like to co-win to with co-win. someone? Did they announce? TJ first or um, they you announced me like... first and um like they did prep us for saying there is a co-win like okay. it's a tie so it wasn't so like it wasn't like moonlight was, la la land yeah no no it was a, it wasn't like a scandalous thing so we had some prep time but it was it was cool um I didn't know I didn't even have any idea who the second person was gonna be but I was happy that it was a DJ and then it was a woman because it was the first time in its 19 year history that a woman has won so I thought that it was cool that two women won yeah. For the first time, so yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, how how has and I know it hasn't been that long, <laughs> but like, have you noticed a drastic change in your career because of it? I don't know if I would use the word drastic, but then also maybe I would, just in terms of things have definitely picked up. I thought that when I got home from Montreal, I'd be able to like have some downtime and like just sort of recuperate, because um, that was in July, right? And it's September, and it feels like the space between the months has been 30 seconds. Like it feels. Everything has just been kind of picking up steam. Um, so yeah, I have more shows and more like potential prospects, and I'm working on some other projects. But uh, things have been good. Yeah, I feel a lot busier and a lot more like, oh, I'm a, com- I actually am a comedian. I can't, I can't like pretend that I'm, I can't. I was gonna say no backing out now. I guess I could back out whenever I want, and I don't want to. But it's like, oh, this is legitimate now, and I can you know, confidently do shows and say that I'm a comedian, you know. Was this the moment, like, this year? Yeah, I think so. I don't know, like, um, I don't know that I wouldn't, like, encourage people to, like, seek a specific milestone to, like, define them or to, like, tell them that they're a comedian because, you know, you're doing jokes and you're out there and you're doing what you love. Um, But, yeah, I think there's probably a time in everyone's life where they just realize that they're almost, like, looking in on their own life and being like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. Um, and that the homegrown show was also like the biggest show I've ever done, um, so that was a really cool feeling. And yeah, there was a little sense of like officialness to it, I guess. So yeah. But you've also been working pretty steady. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah. The the other thing that happened was it was it even the same day that you won the pitch competition with Kristoff? Uh, you know what? That was the same day. So the pitch wasn't that day. The pitch was the day before. But the the when they announced the win, that was that day, and it was literally so. Kristoff uh, and I pitched our, our animated series to CBC Originals, and they were announcing it that day. But I was so frazzled with homegrown. I was like, okay, pitch is over. Uh, now I'm just going to be focusing on this set for tonight. Um, and then after I won Homegrown, Kristoff came up to me and was like, guess what? We won the pitch too. And I was like, whoa, this is too much for me to handle right now. 
But that was a really cool moment. It was cool. He always says that was really cool for him that he got that news like right as I was, you know, coming off stage. So yeah, that was super exciting. Yeah. He got it right. He got it. Yeah, he got the news like right as he was at the show. So he got to tell me immediately after, and you know, I had to. I was being whisked away to another show later that night. Uh, so I had to just kind of um, come out the back door, and like my family was there, my friends, and uh, my agent Ian was there, and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And then I just had to like, anyway, see you later, guys. <laughs> I'm gonna go in this van and go across town. But uh, yeah, Christoph caught me after the show and was able to tell me that. So that was a nice little extra boost. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Were you like just adrenaline junkie yeah. through the rest of the night? Totally. Like, and you know what's so funny about that was that I like I really enjoyed my homegrown set, but I was like pretty nervous and like that's a lot of nerves and like energy and like uh, adrenaline for that show. But I think after that, I was a little bit relieved that it was over, and then I had to rush to um, a, another show at the Comedy Nest, and I. I felt like that set at the Comedy Nest was like my best set of the fest, not even the homegrown, like because, and no one was filming it or no one was like recording it and no one I knew was even there, but I just, I think, because um, there's so much like uh, hype and like, oh, this is just for laughs and you're in this 800 seat theater, and then I was just like, now I'm just going to some club on a Saturday night and I'm just talking to some drunk strangers and there was like a really cool sense of familiarity that's like, humbling but also like I could breathe again and like just do stupid jokes and it didn't have to be polished or anything so that was like a really good set later that night after homegrown which is kind of weird but so was it like more relaxed yeah it was more relaxed plus I was super I was still high on like the news of like having won both things uh so yeah there was like a I I, maybe I maybe there was a sense of relaxation in the fact that like I don't give a shit if I bomb right now like I don't care like I just you know this is a really good day anyways so that probably helped me because I've known you a little bit as a person (laughs) I like the idea of walking out on stage and just being like hello I don't need you anymore (laughs) just so you know up front I would encourage that I mean that mindset in the sense not that you're literally saying that but it does give you a nice boost of confidence but (laughs) I think that a set would have gone differently if I had actually been like just so you know, I don't need any of you. <laughs> I just came from homegrown. No, but it was, uh, yeah, it just felt more relaxed and I was able to just like be in my element telling jokes in a, in a basement again. <laughs> I remember some of the first comedy advice I ever got was from John Wayne. Yeah. And he said, first you're going to write jokes. Yeah. Then you're going to write good jokes. Yeah. Then you're going to write good jokes for you. And then you know you're a comic when you reach the fourth step, which is you bomb on stage doing a professional but gig and you're driving home in your car just being like fuck them I know I was funny and like then you're a cop. Yeah yeah that must be a great feeling to, to be able to like still feel insistent that you love your set and you love your jokes because I think right now like a lot of us are like there, we still have bombs that like make us forget all the successes oh, yeah. you're like nope this one show tonight on a Wednesday in the bottom of some pub this is what I am this horrible set for five minutes for some reason defines my career and now I'm not anything it, <laughs> it's so weird that it, we it do that it keeps you humble yeah uh, <laughs> I'm just gonna pause for a second like anyone that doesn't follow you on Twitter or Facebook follow do me. it yeah, follow me I'll follow you back because <laughs> Status updates are on fire uh, to the point that I've begun deliberately choosing which ones I like back because I don't oh. want you to lose the hustle. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. I really enjoy the internet. I, the internet is like my playground. I really like <laughs> like posting, posting the stupid, stupid stuff. <laughs> it is like a. Actually, no. I shouldn't say it's a safety net because sometimes you get wacky people just yeah voicing their opinions who don't know. Do who you are. get a lot of that? Like wacky? I I don't know if I get. I get wacky people for sure, but I think I'm lucky that I don't get a lot of trolling or like negativity. I just get like weird older people, either from my family or like someone else's family who happened to add me after a show mm -hmm. and they like contribute to the to the thread in a way that has no relevance or significance and that happens a lot. So do you get a lot of like negative feedback? I get mistaken for different Andrew Lazats. Oh no. Oh really? And so I guess there's one in Los Angeles that has a YouTube video vlog that's just him covering classic Disney songs. Oh, wow. So I'll get like, I love when you sing Colors of the Wind. And I'm just like, thank you. Oh my gosh, thank you. I did one time, I guess. Yeah. I... <laughs> that's funny. You're asking me questions. I know, sorry, I'm becoming the interviewer. Yeah. No. A, you're a good person. <laughs> but B, you run your own podcast. Yes. Too. Yeah. So this has got to be instinct for you. Uh, yeah, you. I think it is. It kicks in. Just wanting to maintain the balance of a conversation. You yeah. say something, I say something. I ask you something, you ask me something. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know when to quit. It's now it's infiltrating social, just every everyday conversation. Yeah. We're just always podcasting. What What's your podcast? My about? podcast. Um. So my podcast is called uh, So Help Me Pod, mm -hmm. and I co. Uh, produce and host it with Dan Curtis Thompson, another comedian, okay. and uh, it's about religion. And we interview comedians about religion and faith and spirituality, and whether or not they're currently practicing or ever did or are not at all. We just kind of let them. We just yeah, we just talk about it, what their experiences are. How did that come about? Why were you like, why religion? <laughs> yeah, because, well, I was raised very religious, like very super um, conservative Christian. And, uh, Me too. Really? Oh, yeah. we have so much to talk about, I feel. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I was, and I was pretty heavy into it, even into like my early 20s. So it was still, like a lot of people we talked to, they sort of like departed from it when they were younger. But it was like heavily influenced my whole life up until my early early adulthood um, and then I sort of went my own way and when I started comedy and I met Dan and he was also raised Christian as well and we always had conversations where we would we would talk about that somehow it would always lead back to like our like just certain weird or funny experiences and like how it relates to like our comedy and shapes our, our personalities and we realized there's a lot of comics in the scene who have very interesting backgrounds and very interesting um, perspectives on religion so we're like we need to talk about this because we could talk for hours so now we do <laughs> on this podcast really because yeah. I just assume that it leads itself to pragmatic atheism <laughs> like I clam up about it oh do you the that's time. the thing is like we yeah it's very interesting because certain people are like very open about it and certain people are like no I have certain things that like set, um, sensitive subjects I don't really want to get into which is completely fine um, but yeah you get a whole spectrum of responses to how people discuss um, yeah, the dialogue and discourse of religion. It's very interesting to me. I'm always interested. In, I love meeting former Christians, yeah. uh, especially just because I it shaped my life in so many ways. And I don't um, don't get often get a chance to meet other people who are like, oh yeah, that used to be my life too. 
I was in a, I did a comedy like road trip a few months back and I was in the car with a bunch of comics who I didn't know like what their backgrounds were, but I think I instantly assumed that everyone is atheist. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. And they started singing Christian camp songs that I knew from church because they had been to Christian camp and I didn't know that. And I like lit up. I was like, what? How do you know that song? <laughs> and then the one girl was like, oh, like I, my parents like sent me to a Bible camp when I was like 10 and I remember this song and I just like, it set me off. I was like, that's so crazy. And then, yeah, sparks conversation. Can, can I throw one down? <laughs> yes. See if you know what I'm oh talking my about. God. Yes, no ever- please. Life without God is like a donut. The donut, <gasps> the donut hole, You're the donut the only land. Only other oh my person God. I've oh met. Oh my who God! Knows that I song. know that song. Do you know that? What do you know that song from? Um, do you know the donut man, the donut hole? Like it was like a video series, series of the guy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he like runs a donut shop or something. And yeah. like yeah. And so everything is like weirdly donut but God related. Yeah. No, oh it's God. quite uh, for those that don't know, which I'm assuming is everyone <laughs> oh else gosh. listening. The end of that sentence is. Because there's a hole in the, the middle, middle of, of your, your heart. heart. Life is life without God's it's love like is like a donut, like a donut, like a donut. Life without God's love is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. I don't remember the tune. I just remembered. <laughs> Say like, that to yourself out loud, though, and how messed up that sounds. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. Very existential, <laughs> like. And children just sing it happily. They don't know what they're saying. Oh man, that guy, that guy, uh, he's like, so, um, he's like an adult and like children's entertainer. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did like a video series of like, um, yeah, kids videos, like sing, sing along type stuff. That guy did a concert at my church cause he like tours around and like goes and does those performances for churches. Apparently he's a huge dick. Really? <laughs> yeah. I heard some diva like experiences. Diva yeah. Oh, Can wow. you imagine being a diva when you're like a donut man, Christian entertainer? Yeah. Like you, you have the audacity to be like, um, can it be cooler in here? Like, <laughs> I can't believe it. That's so nuts to me. Oh. Uh. I love that moment that we just shared of the donut. No one, I would never be able to just casually bring that up and well, have see, anyone now, know. <laughs> I'm just like, I just want to get into all this. I know. But then, well, now I have to I have you on the podcast. Your podcast. No, I think you should be on the podcast and talk about that because uh, I feel like there's probably a lot more relatable experiences for sure. Oh. <laughs> like, and I got raised. Everyone always thought I was Jewish, and I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood. Right. I absorbed a lot of that. Sure. And like. I ended up taking a lot of religious studies in university okay. just so I could talk to my dad about it and okay. we could have a measured conversation yeah, about yeah, yeah. religion. Okay, oh, was because he was religious? Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay, yeah, yeah. My dad was the one who doubled down on it. My right. mom's side of the family was Protestant and he was okay. Catholic. Oh, he was Catholic? Like, oh, yeah. okay, I see. So there's a lot going there's on There's a there lot, too. yeah, yeah. Wow, oh, that's so interesting. <laughs> I just, my shoulders physically dropped. I really? <laughs> I want to bring up one other one. Yeah. And then I yeah, swear please. to everyone else no, listening, we will. Please go on. for it. Do you remember this animated video McGee series? McGee and Me. McGee and Me was good. Okay, it wasn't that. Um, three time traveling archaeologists yep. going back and visiting Bible stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was called like something like Great Adventure Adventures in Time or I'm, something like that. Yeah. yeah, and there was like a blonde cartoon lady the, and then there was this other kid with like a hat, backwards hat. Yeah. Uh, Red hair. Yes. 
remember who, that. Was he a Christian too, the kid in the little hat, or were the two other people trying to convert him every episode? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't remember. But I definitely watched that for sure. Yeah, they would go back in time and like was they, he going to Bible stories? They went, yeah, into they, were, Bible they went back stories. into Bible times and like observed like what was happening. Well, and and here's the thing, is I would always think like, well, how does that kid not believe? Because yeah, he went. But then, if there's also time travel, <laughs> and they stumbled onto some like ancient portal, like there's so many more religious connotations to that that yeah. this show is not addressing. No, not touching at all. They don't even like acknowledge that what they're doing. Like it'd be like if it was like Back to the Future, but they were just like, oh, now we're just. In your mom's high school, like they don't acknowledge the time travel aspect of it at all. It's yeah. just like we just are, we just have to accept it. And no one, <laughs> no visit. other Bible person <laughs> ever was just like questioned. No, they're like, where are you from? Like, why is what what is on your head or anything yeah. like that? No, they were just like largely accepted into the into the time. Right. I would watch them so, have anxiety as a kid, or just like oh, okay, really? but then they're so like, but then did God? know about if god knows about the time thing then who are these people did they become someone else in the timeline and i was yeah. getting worried about like no you're gonna screw up the timeline time, yeah the continuum that's so fun that's really fascinating right? that was your concern like no that's not the point of <laughs> that's these not the Bible point of stories. it yeah. and then i couldn't not tell even, like, which absorbing parts Bible. of the stories were like sci-fi like yeah. it's weird to give kids a religious sci-fi entry point and be like yeah. this is fake but, <laughs> but this, this is part real. is real that is really funny that is really funny and, and true and interesting because i don't think many people consider that angle they're like here's like this cool hip like sci-fi uh thing to like help you understand this but that's real though mm-hmm. the, the, but the sci-fi thing just ignore that part that's we just made that up but the other but the thing that it's about is the real <laughs> well and and do you remember the uh it was like odyssey yeah, Adventures in like, Odyssey. Right, yep. but it was based around a scientist. Yeah. So just like, how did they uh, not... Well, that's... Yeah, that's also very annoying, though. Christian science, not yeah. the religion, but the idea of science within Christianity is is very aggravating. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> it's mind-blowing. So I, I ended up with so many more questions yeah, than I had Yeah, there's a lot answers. of questions. Yeah. I think my parents needed to make me stop watching those videos. Really? Yeah, because they're just like... You're taking this in the wrong way. <laughs> That's really fun. I love that though because I wasn't. I just like accepted things as they were presented to me. I, I didn't really have the scope to like critique it or scrutinize it on those levels. And I love knowing that there were kids who did because every kid is different and every kid absorbs information differently. So, uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Critical thinking at an early age. I. That's very. That's. I'm sure that you know uh, came in handy for you later in life. <laughs> If only for this conversation and that joke, because I honestly it, think it's a good joke or like bit to explore. It is came in handy for letting my therapist be able to afford a boathouse. Uh, Kudos to that person who now has a boathouse. Right. Imagine like so making hard. a list of like the all the things, all the luxuries that the people who benefit from your misfortune have. Oh, like yeah. what kind of life they're living because of your neuroses. Yeah. Yeah. That's really funny too. <laughs>
doctors and dentists have doctors it on lock. They're just like, if you don't come see me, they're gonna die. Yeah, like, and I, like, yeah, and like the things that you, the bad choices you made in your life to lead to like this huge, like dental procedure or whatever. Now that guy's like living like a, a rap star because of your <laughs> yeah, oh, <laughs> cause so. and effect. <laughs> that is not the right usage of that. Well, especially <laughs> being a comedian without health insurance, going to the yeah. dentist is like a luxury. Sure, yeah. Like every time I drink something that's too hot or too cold too fast and my teeth hurt, I was like, I what am I doing with my life? I know, you have to consider Should that. I go back to school because totally. I had ice cream? <laughs> Should I go back to school because I had ice cream? <laughs> Are you 100% uh, supporting yourself off of comedy? Um, not 100%, but like getting there uh, incrementally and probably more rapidly in the past like six months. It's only like very, very recently that I've realized, oh, I'm actually making a steady income from, from comedy. I do other stuff like freelance. I do a lot of freelance like writing and editing. Uh, and I almost do like the odd jobs like millennial odd jobs are like things you do on the internet, like managing social media platforms for people. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. uh, and like copywriting um, and like pitching stuff for like editorial things, like my own personal, like not blogs, but like essays or whatever you call them, yeah. that kind of stuff. So that gives me money as well. And, um, and yeah, so, but yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting a lot more income from comedy in the past year. So that's been Cool. Yeah, no, and, and like something I like to encourage to people is like there is no shame in having a side hustle. Oh, absolutely comedy. not. I would encourage it, especially if it's like, I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do. So if you're in like a job that's like an office job or like a bartending thing, don't like don't like resent yourself or, or thinking that you're less worthy to do comedy because of that. Like you got to you got to make everyone has to make ends meet. So, oh, yeah. And yeah. so many people teach. And yeah, I mean, exactly. For sure. Or write blogs yeah. like you if said. you can find like if you have a knack for like writing though or like or like um, or like acting and you want to get an agency if you can do some commercial auditions like that stuff is good too because that can be also a nice break a side hustle that's a break from maybe your day job that's something you'd like to do as well um there's no shame in like having multiple things that you like to do you know i think some people feel like oh comedy has to be the only thing i like to do so i can't like commit myself to other creative projects but and it, it helps with writing too, yeah because oh, like yeah. if you're only doing comedy your joke writing necessarily starts to become cyclical for sure for like, sure collapsing yeah. in on its own oh, yeah you need a good world like you need to be able to like participate in the world and like have experiences to help give you stories and jokes you know yeah you're making like the open mic rounds or you're doing shows and you're like i my life is comedy and i don't have very many experiences outside of it that's very that's very limiting so uh what kinds of things do you do now to like relate to the common people <laughs> oh i'm i'm far too common in like well that's the thing is like I, I almost don't have that much of a life outside comedy like I do the things that I do are like I feel like are so mundane to mention like I come like we're at a cafe right now and I like come here a lot um, I live in a building with a lot of people who are very different from me and I find them very funny um, like some of them are older and some of the ones who are younger, they all have, they all seem to be very professional people who have like serious professional careers. 
and or they jog a lot. I live in the harbor front, Toronto, and yeah. everyone's jogging all the time and looking beautiful and jogging, and that's all they're doing. And they have dogs, and I don't have, and I'm not, I don't jog, and I don't have a dog, and I'm just fascinated by this little bubble that I live in of people who are so active, but like live a professional life, and just the things they get up to in my building. Like I live in a building where I find that everyone is like very like kind of petty sometimes about just like like issues issues that go on within a building of people who live together it's almost like an office space you mm. know where you i don't know if you've ever worked in an office but like a after, little bit yeah after a certain point it's like you get to know everyone's weird quirks and you're sharing this space with them for like eight hours a day and you're like why are you barefoot justine like why are, what are you doing and like why is your lunch smell so bad and and then people you know and then people have to share a fridge, and so they're like labeling their food, but like leaving passive aggressive notes. Things like that is like what I surround myself with when I'm not doing comedy, which sounds so bizarre and like minimal, but it makes me laugh. And I always get like, yeah, funny observations from just like everyday things like that. Wow. <laughs> Sorry for anyone who's like lives in my building and is listening to this. I don't know what the chances are because they don't come to my shows and I advertise them all the time. But what I, oh. <laughs> I one guy does, one guy comes to my shows. We can talk about that for an hour alone. Um, who's the funniest person you know who isn't a comedian? Oh man. Um I have a, like a couple of people. My dad is very funny. Um my dad is where I get a lot of my bits from. Um, who else is funny? I have a, a, my best friend from my hometown is really funny in the sense that she doesn't. Uh, she's my favorite type of person, which is she's a she's a doctor. She's a what's the cancer doctor? She's an oncologist, mm -hmm. an oncologist. So she's very like you know she comes from an academic background and she's very smart that way, but. In conversation, there are certain things she doesn't get that go over her head very easily, and sarcasm is one of them. Like, it does not translate in her system whatsoever. With me, I feel like because she's known me her whole life, she kind of, like, I don't know if she gets it more with me or she just now has learned to assume that I'm being sarcastic a lot of the time. So, like, every time I say something, she's like, ah, you're Start not that. serious, right? I'm like, no, that was actually, you know, um, she makes me laugh a lot. Um, and just like no, kind of uh, a little bit no filter, like she'll just say things out of nowhere. That kind of person makes me laugh a lot. So is your relationship based on like <laughs> you're so different in thought process? Yeah. That it like takes you from the side. Yes. A bit, yeah. Catches it catches me off guard. guard. Yes, and I love catch me off guard humor too. Yeah. People who are not necessarily trying to be funny. Because we have, you know, like, with comics, like, we're always working on bits. And, like, sometimes you can't tell or you can tell if someone is, like, saying something to, like, see what your reaction is because they are going to write it down in a few minutes as a bit. Whereas other, other people are just so, like, endearingly funny on their own without meaning to be. And I love, I love that, too. There for sure is a bit rhythm yeah. even when you don't know that you're testing a bit yeah just having a conversation yeah you start totally to... you start to it just it naturally leads into that kind of conversation so it's very refreshing talking to people who just like find things funny or are funny without meaning to be or trying to be right yeah and then don't you get into a whole thing of like i'm sorry that was a leading thing but i find <laughs> 
sometimes I'm then like, why did I choose to do this for a living and you yeah. were fine yeah. not going pro? Yeah, totally. I know a lot of people who are like, well, I don't know how they would do with stand-up, but I know they're just very funny people. And I'm like, oh, you should like do something with this because it's so hilarious. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess there are just certain people who are just... Maybe that's also better for the world. I think we need funny people who aren't professional at it. Just for some variety. Uh, <laughs> just for better conversations in life. They're, they're enlightening people around. regular people. <laughs> Be funny, you know? Take yeah. an improv class and then just go to your job every day. Oh, my Get God. Get less heckling, for sure. You know that I, yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. I, uh, a guy in my, a man in my building is very funny. He's an older gentleman. He just has such a colorful life and past. And I just love talking to him. And he'll just bring up, he bring up stuff that's like, uh, he'll ask me, like, if I've read a certain book and then kind of describe the book in, in great detail, but it has no significance to anything we've been talking about, and then he'll give me, like, the author bio and everything. And one time, and I'm going to try and approach the subject without it sounding creepy, because I swear it wasn't creepy, so that's the preface. But So I've known him for, like, a few years now, and he lives a few floors above me, and uh, he's come to some of my shows. And one time, he, <laughs> he invited me... Uh, to come over to his apartment to, um, he had a bottle of like vermouth that he was like very, I think he like collects, you know how like older men like love like prized booze, like, or like vintage alcohol as like a display, as, like, a display, like yeah. scotch or whatever. And he had like, oh, and I said that I had never tried vermouth before. And I was like, oh, it sounds like such a fancy drink. Like who drinks vermouth? Like that's not even a word I use in like mm -hmm. my common diction. And uh, he's like, no, you should come and come over and try some vermouth. So we were at um, a building party. Like I think it was like um, the Christmas party or something. He's like, come try some. So I was like, yeah, you know what? Let's he's a very funny character. He's very friendly. I'll go try some vermouth. So I went into his apartment. And uh, it was a beautiful place, lots of artwork. He's like a military man, so he had all these like books on like war and and uh, like international policy and stuff. And he had like a full library. And then he randomly, in the middle of his uh, living room, has like a walk-in sauna, like just a sauna, like just a wa like like a, sh a walk-in shower, but it was a sauna, like just in the middle of this room. <laughs> And so he's like showing it to me and we sit down and we're drinking vermouth and he's telling me like old stories of his life and it was just so funny and like delightful. And I was like, no other person that I know, I, I don't know if I was subconsciously doing this for the fact that I would have a story to tell, but I was like, I don't know any girl my age who would just like go to a man, an older man's house to just drink vermouth with him at like four o'clock on a Wednesday night. I was like, I think I'm just lacking in life. In outside comedy experiences, that this is what I wanted to do. It's like, yeah, I'll go drink vermouth with this 70-year-old gentleman who just <laughs> lives in my building. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and vermouth is not bad. I liked it. It was it, very smooth. But you're living in an apartment complex. Yeah. It's a condo building. Uh, uh, where am I giving you the address? Yeah, it's a condo building. But, uh, yeah. And, um, yeah. So I've lived there for a few years now. And uh, it's, uh, I, I, I run into him, I have conversations with him, and he's come to shows, and I was just like, this guy is very interesting and very funny. Um, okay, because if it's a condo, that makes a little bit more sense. I yeah. thought it was an apartment, and a man has just built a sauna <laughs> inside, and it's like hiding it from the condo board. But he, I don't know how that, but I think he did, I don't know how he got it 
in there. I don't think it was just there, though. I don't know. No, you'd have to. Yeah, I think he did build it. I don't know. See, and this gets into a, <laughs> a, a deeper thing where it's like, I think that everybody's interesting, but not everybody knows how to tell stories. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like... That that man is probably he's a his, good storyteller. Oh yeah, right, absolutely. But he, I'm always fascinated by people who are just like, but I don't want to bore you with something. Yeah. I found out a couple weeks ago, my best friend, like since I was in grade five. Yeah. He wrote a book what? that he told no one about, what? and um, it's uh, he studied uh, brain psychology and okay. like trauma and stuff like that. And it's a case study okay. where he's just like, yeah, I tried to solve a murder. I can't get anyone else to look at it, but like, I got oh it published. I got approval from this girl's family. To just like, how do you not bring that up? Yeah. And so it's just like, I didn't want to bore you. I just with didn't the come details. up. <laughs> you never asked if I've written a murder book before. Yeah. Why would I just drop that info? That's so funny. And that's someone I've known all my life, but it's just, yeah, people don't know wow. how they're interesting they are. What? What, do you know what like the book was about? Like what murder it was? Was it like an like, unsolved case? Uh, it I is. I feel like I should read this book. It's, I love um, that stuff. Uh, imp- uh, podcast crossover. Okay. Uh, my favorite murder covered it. Really? Yeah. Oh my god, I it love was, my favorite mur- murder. It was a girl from Winnipeg okay. who um, she was in LA. Yeah. And. She ended up in this place that was kind of like a rundown hotel okay. like, for no reason. Yeah. Uh, and she ended up uh, dead in a water tank what? in the hotel, like crammed in there. Oh and the God. police were saying that it was uh, some sort of psychological thing, but she had no history oh, of it. Yeah. I believe this is me. How would she, what, that was a suicide? Well, and then as you went deeper into it, there was like links to the mob. Oh my and stuff god! Like that, but they yeah. still don't have any idea how she got in there because she would have had to get past a locked security door. Yeah. Or she would have had to like crawl into a vent. Yeah. Like, how do you just do that? Just like find a way to cram yourself into a water tank. Yeah, and and so wow. I, I I really have to read that book. But I fo- I want to read that book now. That's crazy. <laughs> it's just like oh no. Yeah, he just doesn't bring it up. Yeah. I love when people involve themselves in unsolved murders because someone has to, and sometimes that you know like picks up the pace. You know, you have stuff like serial where all of a sudden you know people are getting appeals and everything. Exactly. I have Google alerts for missing persons. <laughs> I do. I have Google alerts in case they turn up or, like, something comes up about them. I have, like, favorite. That's, like, the worst word to use for a missing person. Like, my yeah. favorite missing person. Uh, but, like, case, cases that have interested me significantly, I have Google alerts for them. So if they're ever found or whatever, because I don't think about them all the time. So I'm like, I want to know if this person has any updates or whatever. Or someone's, like, doing a documentary about them. Right. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Jumping back, is your dad... Like, yeah. knowingly funny? Or is it more like he doesn't understand that he's funny? But uh, no, he knows. He okay. knows. He's very aware. I think he thinks that he should be doing comedy. Um, oh, okay. uh, but when he is funny, I think um, it, does, it doesn't feel forced or anything like that. And a lot of the time it's just like... Um, 
making fun of me or making fun of each other. We're very, like, I come from, like, a very roasting relationship type of family where we're yeah. just, like, dissing each other all the time. All the time. And I think it's only recently that I've realized that other people's families are not necessarily like that. And, uh, I don't know, we're probably, like, pretty mean to each other. So is that your, like, comedy origin yes. story? Yeah, actually, I think so. Because I was, I was uh, yeah, the way I was brought up was just very, everyone's, um, my family is very loud and boisterous and not very like me in personality. Like, I'm not a very, um, I wouldn't call myself shy now, but I used to be, and very quiet and introverted, whereas, like, family gatherings for me are just loud and, like, everyone talking over each other, like, yelling, not angrily, just, like, trying to be the one to, you have to yell if you want to get spoken to or right. get your point out, you have to yell. Um, yeah, so a lot of jokes happen that way. Um, they loved stuff like, they loved Seinfeld, and they loved watching, like, like Saturday Night Live and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. yeah was, there, was it a competition for, like, attention, or, like, could you could you win a conversation? I could win a conversation, but I, I, because I come from more of a writerly perspective, I would, like, be thinking about one good line, and that line I, at the perfect moment is when I would chime in. So, whereas, like, other comics or other people are just, like, you know, yelling a whole bunch of stuff to just, like, some of this is going to get attention, some of this is going to be funny, I would just, like silently brewed to myself be like i'll come up with like a nice little joke and oh, then I'll, okay. I'll pitch it at the right moment uh so that was more my style but uh but i no i wasn't really starved for attention i was very yeah. shy but yeah but my dad is more like gregarious my dad is more like openly outwardly okay. funny yeah just cracking jokes you know so are you more like picking your moment more yeah. like a joke sniper i'm yes i'm very cerebral i think i still am because i'm just like trying to i'm like no the wording has to be good right. <laughs> Right, a lot of other people are just like the energy is there. Like they're just funny because they're just like you know, uh, very forthright, very energetic. That's so interesting. <laughs> okay, kind of. Uh, this is a segue. Trust yeah. me. Uh, <laughs> when when trying to research you a little bit, sure. Uh, you did Second City as yeah, well. Yeah, I did. Yes. And like I've only ever known you as a stand-up. Right. Um, but I didn't do improv though. You did the writing. I did program. the writing program. Yes. So, yeah. So how was converting some of that to sketch? Um, that was an interesting experience because Second City is a very, like, its own distinctive um, curated comedy experience where, yeah. like, you, if you're learning to write there, you're learning to write sketch for their main stage. You're not learning to write it for a video series or, like, or even Saturday Night Live. Like, you're learning to, like, this is what a sketch should look like if we were to put it in a main stage review. So that's a very different, that's more of, like, a theater-type sketch. Yeah. Um, so that was a very specific style of sketch writing, which was very interesting to me, but I didn't, I, I'm not, like, specifically proud of anything I produced during that time period. Like, I'm glad that I did it, but I don't mm. think I came up with, like, my funniest moments or sketches during that time. Um, if I, I feel like I could go back and do it again and maybe have a better perspective on it, a better handle of it, but at the time I was like, oh, I'll just follow their formula. Because they do have a formula. Uh, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of people get disillusioned by that in yeah. a weird way when they go, but it's kind of like, well, they're the Catholic Church of Comedy. Like, yes. they started yeah. it. 
Yeah. So they don't need to branch out because when yeah. you go to them, you're looking for that. Yes, you're side. going to them for them. They're not really, they don't need to like lure people in with like all kinds of like fancy different things. They're just like, this is where they, they're an institution. Like we're Second City and when you come here, you come for Second City comedy. So um, it was really cool. Like I definitely, I enjoy uh, branching out and learning to produce comedy in different ways because I just think it's important to like be multi-level that way, just be able to like put your hand in different, you know, pots or whatever. Did um, your style or uh, a voice really change when you wrote your sketch? Um, yeah, I guess so, but I don't know if it was even, a, I even had a voice comedically yet, because this was like in 2011 and 2012. Okay. I, I was doing stand-up, but not as like consistently as I am now and I was sort of doing it sporadically I don't think I had developed a voice or knew what I wanted to say yet I just knew I wanted to tell jokes I had a sketch that was called I, was, I had a sketch that was about someone a girl going to the dentist and oh I was paralleling abortion and I was going to the dentist, and if you had to get a tooth removed, the dentist was talking about it as if it was getting an abortion and like shaming the girl for not wanting to have her tooth removed or for wanting to have the tooth, tooth removed and not keep it when he That's was saying to keep so it. Funny. it. It was very funny to me in concept, but in execution, it was just clumsy. It was a little bit clumsy, but it was yeah. so cool to be able to write it and then they get you to have like they get seconds of the actors to come in and like read your script and they do it for you. That was a really cool experience. It was very fun. I feel like I would have written it better now than I did then. But yeah, and and that's a good feeling. Like, yeah, totally. Like, I can do better now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think that probably is a little bit of my voice of like I like issues that are like I like um what do you call that type of like the like metaphor type comedy where it's like or like satire like yeah. this is yeah satire in sketch like this is this is what it is about but this is what it's really about you know yeah I think I I tend to gravitate towards that type of style so uh when. When you were starting out, did you know you wanted to be a stand-up, and then you just kind of like, I want to try sketch, or did yeah. you start off a sketch and then go like, no, I think I actually love this? Or well, um, I was looking for something new because I was living in Waterloo at the time, which is my hometown. Mm -hmm. I had just come from living in Windsor for seven years, and I had moved back to Waterloo for a summer, and I was just like, um contemplating what my next life move was and I think I was just I was like you know what I feel a pull towards Toronto and I think I should do something with comedy I had tried stand-up several times I was like I think I could do stand-up there I don't know that they had that stand-up class um, that they now have at Second City back when I was researching um, if they did I didn't see it or maybe they weren't running it for the time that I was going to move there I think um, it is newer I think it's newer and so when I was looking up I, I knew I didn't want to do improv just because that seemed really scary to me um, so I figured oh comedy writing might help push me forward at least in terms of just like getting stuff on paper and like finding out what how I can be funny in the writing sense um, so yeah so then I moved to Toronto and immediately did that and I was still doing some shows in between and uh, I think I always did want, want to do stand-up though I I still want to write sketch, like I want to do like video type sketches and um, I, I could see myself writing for TV, um, but yeah, I think I just wanted something to like propel me forward and give me the shove that I needed to like do comedy in any 
Totally. It and it, it's like any type of school where you're going to network with other people yeah. who are interested in the same thing. As exactly. You. Yeah, exactly. You're meeting people from all kinds of uh, walks of life, and some of them are doing stand-up, some of them are not. Some of them have, like, experience in other territories of comedy, so that's always cool. Yeah. Yeah, I want to meet friends, too. Um, what was it that drew you to Toronto in particular? Oh, um, well, you know, I was very resistant to Toronto for the longest time. Like, Waterloo is about an hour west, um, so I, I wasn't like I was far. far enough away. Yeah, well, that's why I went to Windsor, which is like, for anyone who knows Windsor, that's sort of a strange choice to, to choose to go there when I was 18. Um, but to me, like, that was the school that I got accepted in, and I was like, oh, well, that's the furthest away that I have the opportunity to go to for now, so I just went. Um, but Toronto, for some reason, I never wanted to go there growing up. I don't know why. I had been there enough times, but I was like, eh, it doesn't really seem that appealing to me. Uh, but then I started dating someone uh, that summer when I was in Waterloo. For a summer, I started dating someone who lived in Toronto. Um, so there were a lot of back and forth visits. And that's when I was like first really like, oh, I actually like this city. And um, I could see myself like... It seems like the only t like city within this area that was like good for comedy, mm -hmm. like in terms of like an actual scene. For sure. So yeah. Well, was there something about the comedy scene here that made you gravitate here as opposed to Vancouver? I think example? I probably knew more about Toronto in terms of the comedy scene. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just seemed like that was the place to go. Um, yeah, I think I just knew less about Vancouver or Montreal than I did about Toronto. So, yeah. Nope, fair enough. I also <laughs> like the idea that it's very common that, like, you have to move as far away from your parents I as know. possible at a certain age. Yeah, yeah. Or else you, like, I constantly <laughs> wonder about, like, what if your parents are really cool? How do you rebel against <laughs> them then? Yeah. Like, what did David yeah. Bowie's kids do? Yeah. Why would you want to move so far away from David Bowie? Bowie. That's really funny. Well, it wasn't even like my parents were like not cool. I think I was just yeah. I don't know. You just feel like that's what you should do. Yeah, if you haven't had any life. life experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> from the learning to write at Second City, like mm -hmm. you've now got this uh, animated show in the works, right? Um, which. First of all, how much can you talk about that? Do you have like a... Um, a little bit. I can talk a little bit like, about it, yeah. It's still very much like in development, but it's like I'm openly able to, yeah. Do you want to give us the, the elevator pitch? Sure, sure. Oh, man. Um, okay, so it's like called Diversity League. I don't know if that will remain the name of it, but it's um, a superhero universe in which... Um, there's a super superhero crime fighting team uh, of individuals that all have their own powers, but the main crime in this world, this otherwise like utopian world, is that social justice still exists. Um, like social justice issues still exist, like uh, racism, ableism, sexism, that type of stuff. And so we see um, this crime fighting superhero team facing every episode a different. Um, obstacle that the world needs saving from, like for example, <laughs> a troll, like an internet troll, is a whole episode and it's represented by like an actual troll who's like taking over the world. But instead of like he's like this big crazy monster, but he's like you're fat, like he's just like calling people, you know, like doing what a troll would do, like that type of thing. 
Um, so we take very like we take real com concepts and sort of turn them into superhero versions or super villain versions of what they would be within that universe. And then these we've got like um, superheroes representing different um, minority statuses, you know, and being and that's their voice um, that's able to fight the crime. So like my my uh, character uh, who is uh, I don't know if we've decided on a name for her right now it's Mabel Steele but she's like this um, she's an amputee mm -hmm. and her superhero power is she's got uh, telekinesis where what she's lacking in limbs she's able to move things with her mind right. yeah but only they live in a mansion where it's like everything is like cool and perfect and accessible within the mansion but when she goes out into the real world it's just the regular earth world where nothing is accessible for her so that's her daily struggle is like combating ableism within that how strong is the the irony in it would you <laughs> say that the the heroes are necessarily trying too hard or they're genuinely squashing the evil of these problems um, I mean, they're squashing them, but it's, like, not without, like, a little bit of back-and-forth dialogue of, like, we want to include, um, we want to include the complexities of, like, these everyday, like, I think the main premise is, like, everything you see on Facebook, on your, on your, on the internet of, like, people arguing about huge issues, you yeah. know, like, misogyny and, and racism and stuff, um, we kind of want to include all of that and be like, this is, these are very complex issues, and there there's a side of it that's not understanding the oppressed, um, and uh, we want to kind of explore that and see where that comes from. Like we have like um, a villain is the cat collar, and he's like he has an actual cat collar yeah. on around his neck that like hypnotizes and like it like makes women smile without their consent and so like this cat collar like mesmerizes them and they're all smiling and we're like oh no the cat collar is taking over you know and um and so you realize that this guy is just like this pimple-faced boy who like lives in his parents' basement and like is, has been starved for attention. And it's like we're not trying to um, glamorize his origin story as like an excuse for what he does, but just kind of give a backstory so that people are like, oh, maybe I maybe I've been that way, and maybe that's not the right response is to try and take that out on objectifying women, you know, that type of thing. Right. Don't take all the humanity. Yes. Away from exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's been that's really fun to write. It's been really fun. So. We pitched that to CBC and they, they gave us a green light for that. So now we're looking to find like all the the fine print details of like animators and producers and such. So uh, is it a web series or is it a um, full? Because I would watch this as a full. Yeah, series. we want it. That's the goal is to have it as a full series. We do have scripts for like we've got like a full like thirty minute script. We've got an eleven minute script of like a web stuff. So right now we're gonna get CBC to fund uh, the digital web series for now, and then hopefully once we have a run of that, you know, take it some. Yeah, take off from there. Was so. there um, some topics that were that you shied away from or two on the nose? Because I'm thinking, like, if you pitched this before Charlottesville, it's like, yeah. well, Nazis are still a thing we didn't expect to deal with, but that's yeah. a, kind of an open shut. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, like, it's almost like the world just keeps giving us topics to talk about but uh i don't know like we we have um like a, an episode list and so far it's been experiences within our like it's very important to have a show called diversity league with a diverse group of writers so we have people yeah. you know of different backgrounds and stuff um so we're all kind of touching on our own experiences um 
with those stories. But yeah, there, I mean, there might be. I feel like there's probably going to be a challenge to have some, you know, storylines that might be a little bit sensitive. But uh, for now, we've just kind of got a nice, solid uh, list of episodes that I think are like touch on important issues, but don't don't uh, overreach or anything. Uh, still on that, yeah. sidestepping it a little bit. Uh, your character is an amputee. Yes. And you were saying also that I, I saw something on your Facebook feed that made me really happy that was since you won JFL, mm. apparently comedy clubs have been phoning you asking how they can make their comedy yeah. clubs more accessible. More accessible, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I produced a show uh, that was uh, in tribute to a comedian who has, who has passed um, a few years ago, or last year, um, Andrea Arruda, mm-hmm. and he was a, a comedian with a disability, and he and I were friends, and we had talked about, like, what if we made a show that showcased some comics with disabilities in a space that was accessible for everyone to come to? Because, um, like, in every major city, there's, like, a jarring lack of accessibility in just, like, restaurants and bars, like people who, um, even the ones that claim to be accessible for wheelchairs, they're like, yeah, come on in, we've got like a ramp, uh, drink all you want, oh, by the way, our washrooms are down these rickety stairs in the basement, so you can't, you can't, you can drink all you want, but you can't go pee, which is like crazy. Um, And so, since his passing, I wanted to continue that project because I thought it was important. So I did produce this show uh, last month at Second City, Uh, shout out to Second City's John Candy Box Theater, because it's from what I know, uh, the most accessible space right now in the city. Um, there's an elevator to get upstairs, and then the space is very large, and you're able to get around. And uh, so we had a show there, and we had live captioning services for deaf uh, and hearing impaired um, guests. And uh, we had a few comics with disabilities uh, on the show. There are not that many that I know of, um, but the good thing is, yeah, since then I had other venues reach out to me and be like, how do we, what do we do to make people want to come to our show and feel included? Um, so that was great. And also comics with disabilities have messaged me as well, being like, hey, I saw you at this show and I didn't know that you could do this. Like, I didn't know that this was a platform I could use to make jokes and I'd love to, to get into it. So that's been really cool as well. Well, uh, is there anything like quick, easy fixes that comedy clubs? Can um, do? Yeah, so I mean, in terms of accessibility, it's, it can be a little bit complex because there's such a wide range of disabilities. However, um, for people in wheelchairs, like there is this organization called Stopgap, and they custom make ramps that can literally just go outside your storefront and go into your store. Like you get, and they will install it for you. And I don't know. Uh, I think like the very affordable prices. I think it kind of depends on like your setup. Um, but they will do ramps that like I feel like on the website it says something about they can make ramps that don't like conflict with your. Um, buildings like structural bylaws like you know there's sometimes there's like paperwork that has to be done for like like add-ons and stuff within your venue but i think they have like some kind of not loophole but like uh agreement with the city that they're allowed to build these ramps for you so you can just contact them and ask for a ramp and they'll come and like work something out for you so that's like that's literally the quickest the quickest fix that I can think of off the top of my head for people who want to have accessibility. Yeah. 
There are places that are more underground, like uh, that stairs leading downstairs. I don't know how that would work, it's, but you know, it's dangerous anyway. It's so dangerous anyways. Yeah, you, totally. You've got you're selling booze, and then yeah. you're like, well, <laughs> good luck. Go down, go down the murder stairs. basement. <laughs> yeah, I know it's nuts, but uh, yeah, I know. Like, there's a lot of like venues that they're not like maliciously being like we're saying no to these types of people. They just happen to have bought that venue but you know if they're if you are interested i would check out stopgap because they uh they have a lot of good resources for ramps so yeah <laughs> and jumping back a bit with the whole concept of social justice warriors right how are you feeling about the supposed pc movement in comedy lately i don't know i i feel like it's hard for me to believe that even if you wanted to say the most heinous thing you can think of that you wouldn't be able to find a space for it if you actually even wanted to. Not that that's something I would necessarily agree with, but I feel like there's a lot of outrage over, like, we're not allowed to say this. I'm like, where are you really not allowed? Because I've been on some stages where people have said egregious things, and, like, no one better than I, and they almost got standing ovations sometimes. And they were not things that I particularly agreed with, but they were allowed to say them while they were there. Um... But I mean, I don't know, the PC thing is interesting because um, I, I don't think it's, I don't think we need to be intimidated by social progress and I don't think we need to be intimidated by voices that weren't given a voice before. I think yeah. that's a natural uprising and something we should celebrate. And it's um, way more interesting. It's way like more interesting and it adds more variety. Topics, yeah. And I think yeah, and I think that comedy is always evolving and I think it's important to uh, take a look you don't have to be you don't have to change your style or voice to accommodate people, but like if you're saying something that's largely being um, criticized by a bunch of people for one reason. I don't think it's unfair of you to have to be like, you know what, maybe I should just consider that and be like, where is this coming from? Because I'm a performer and I want to uh, entertain an audience and if the audience is giving me backlash, maybe I have something to think about. Maybe there are, maybe I'm coming from a perspective that uh, is a little bit outdated right now. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I always try and keep it as a rule of thumb. It's just like, am I punching up? Yeah. Like, don't make fun of the victim in the joke. Yeah. And just try and keep empathy yeah. in everything you do. Right. I've also seen it, though, where people got criticized just for telling something that really happened to them. Like oh, I, for sure. I, I, I saw a buddy of mine talk about something very specific in his childhood, mm. and uh, someone came up to him afterwards and was like, Hey man, it's not cool for you to talk about that. You don't know who's in the audience. It's just like, but that was my yeah, childhood. that was my experience. Yeah, totally. I do think there are two extremes, and I think I do. I don't know if this is something that like a lot of people would agree with me on within my like network of friends. Um, but I do think uh, in the in the in social progress, we we have sort of reached a point where some people are going to shows looking for something to critique very specifically, and I think anytime you're looking for something, you're going to find it, and um, yeah, it's really hard to argue with someone who's just speaking from their experience and being like, well, you can't, well, 
you never know who's in the audience. You know, there's a number, any number of things that you could be saying that, you know, you're making jokes about and someone isn't liking. So I don't think that we should have to um, be that uh, in our heads all the time of being like, okay, is this person, is anybody in the audience coming from um, this perspective? Or like, that would drive you insane if you're just nitpicking all your jokes and yeah. being like, what can I talk about then? I, I, I understand and empathize with that as well. Um, yeah, in terms of punching up, I think that's always a good idea, though. Um, yeah. Um, as uh, a comedian yeah. and uh, also cerebral writer, mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to think of the French word for it because I'm pretentious, but uh, it's what the French call the moment of the staircase, okay. where somebody said something to you and you uh, only think of the perfect comeback like ten minutes later when oh, you're walking yeah. home. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever had one that's just been burning in your soul for years that you would just? Oh man. Some sort of moment in your life that if you had biblical time travel <laughs> powers you could go back could go and back and say the thing I feel like I have those a lot and I feel like they're not even like what what's the time gap in the moment of the staircase example like how far do in general do most people like uh, after the fact think of those things because for me I feel like it's like a shockingly short amount of time that that's what's annoying. It's like it's like three minutes later or less. And I'm like, oh, you should have said this thing. And I thought about it like directly after. Um, I don't know if I can think of a specific example. Um, I don't know. I a lot of the time when that happens, it's not even within comedy context. It's just like out on the street. Like lately, uh, I'm having I'm struggling with. Uh, being out in public and like two things will happen I'll just be living my life and like minding my own business and doing things and a stranger will come up to me and like offer me help in a situation where like I don't even look like I need help like I'm just standing there and they're like let me help you find your bus pass like, I'm in, my, in your purse I'm like oh no it's okay it's okay and uh, they're like overkilling trying to help me which I'm like, okay, well, their intentions were good. They were just trying to, like, be a good citizen. But then the opposite extreme will happen where this just happened last night where I, like, sort of tripped on the street and everything in my purse went spilling all over the sidewalk. And this guy watched the whole thing and didn't flinch whatsoever. And then and I was like, how does that happen? Like, this is the most obvious scenario of literally anyone needing help, and he's just, like, observing it like it's a movie. And I always want to be like, I always want to have some comeback and be like, to just stand up and be like, oh, I'm fine, everyone. Thanks for stopping. Thanks for, you know, like, being really sarcastic. And I never think to do that in the moment. And I've had so many of those moments lately where I just come up with, like, comebacks of, like, yelling at strangers for not helping me, different clever quips of it, but I never think to do it until they're gone. Like, they've gotten on the bus already. <laughs> is, is the rule of thumb you would like to announce for like helping uh, yeah. someone? Yeah, I, I mean, there must be something. I mean, I feel like it's crazy that I, there has to be a rule of thumb because that instance seemed so obvious to me. Like, I, if I saw an able-bodied person spill the contents of their bag out on the sidewalk, I would go over and be like, "Hey, man, are you okay? Like, do you need help?" Um, 
And yet I wouldn't go up to a, like, a blind person as they're just living their life and be like, hey, do you want me to, like, guide you into this Starbucks? Like, that's crazy. Um, yeah, I don't know. If someone's just, if you ever see me and things are flying out of my purse, mm-hmm. feel free to come over and help me because I probably need it. And if I'm in the <laughs> bi- middle of a busy intersection, that's appropriate. Like, you can be a good person and do that. Um, if I'm just standing mm-hmm. at a streetcar stop, uh, at stationary, not even moving, that's probably not a good time <laughs> to come and ask me if I need help or like what happened to my hands and if I'm ever going to grow them back. <laughs> that happens a lot too. <laughs> it's if amazing. If I'm ever going to grow my limbs back and I'm 33, and when would that happen? How is my question. <laughs> what would. <laughs> That's not how evolution works. That, okay, <laughs> alright. Imagine. Um, yeah, I'm expecting them tomorrow, like around noon. They yeah. should probably be fully developed by then. Like this, you should have seen me yesterday. Like I yeah. only had shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> I'm lucky to have what I have now today. Wow. <laughs> so crazy. Um, <laughs> is there something you've never been asked? that you wish someone would ask you about? Mm. I mean, I I was going to ask you about something that, like, you're obsessed with that doesn't necessarily have something to do with comedy. And I know we touched on religion. (laughs) I am pretty fixated. I really get, like, I got genuinely hyped up when you mentioned the Donut Man. Like, that really excites me. And I don't even know why, because it's not even part of my life anymore. I think I just love the that connection to someone uh, who has uh, experience with like what I find to be a very very narrow scope of uh, um, of an experience that a lot of people don't relate to. Um, what else? I really enjoy uh, ghosts and paranormal activity and things of that nature. And I binge watch stuff like Paranormal Survivor on Netflix, and I love that stuff. And I actually wish people would ask me more about that. Not that they would think to, because I don't know why you would think to, but I love that kind of thing. See, and again, <laughs> I don't want to jump in on your podcast, no, please but like, do. so much, like, that's how I bond with my mom. Is, is it? She'll just be like, so, and she won't call them conspiracy theories, but <laughs> oh, she'll just jump in on, like, I remember once she sent me, like, a link to a podcast that Jesse Ventura did all about the JFK assassination. Okay. Just like, oh, man. And it's this really sweet, endearing thing of, like, I learn more about my mom through this interest. Yeah, but it's this weird. And my old roommates used to actually, well, one specifically, would try and hunt Bigfoot. Wow. Right? Really? For real? Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. So... Yeah. Anytime you want to get it. Yeah, totally. I love conspiracy theories. I just want them to be. I want. I want one to be true. I just want something to be true. I want like. One of them has. One of them has to be true. Like everything. Everything can't be just out of just nothing. Hundred percent running smooth. Hundred percent. Yeah, there's gotta be some like yeah stuff wheels moving behind the scenes, you know. Like I don't feel like right now in political and global history, I'm like, no, we know everything that's going on. No one. No one has ever tried to stage anything. Come on. Yeah. I want. I want. You know what I really want to happen is I want. 
a celebrity that we think has been dead for years and years to resurface and been like, I staged my own death. I would love for that to happen. I just think that's such a cool idea to do. Do you, do you have one in particular that Who you're I think kind of might like? Be? Yeah. Uh, um, I... Uh, maybe Tupac. Right? That's the one I, I lean to could, the most. Yeah, out of all the ones, I'm like, no, Elvis is not still kicking around, I don't think. I think Tupac would be, I think that would have made the most sense based on his life. I would I would at least understand that staging more Where than anyone else. he was headed else. as an artist yes. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, and then, because there's all those conspiracies of like the still making music beyond the grave, like all these tracks are coming out, and he's like referencing lyrics things, lyrics, yeah. yeah, 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 that kind of thing. I would love for that to be true. I just want someone to do it, even just to fuck with people, even for even no reason. Andy Kaufman, <laughs> yeah. How there's still like because I don't know if you know about this, but he left a step of instructions to his brother, oh, really? and like recently there was the anniversary of one of the instructions and he had to pick up a suitcase in a car park that was that oh actually was there and you're just like but he's also <laughs> was a crazy enough person that like he might have just staged this all yeah decades in advance yeah yeah totally oh man so crazy i also love illuminati shit and going right. down rabbit holes of illuminati stuff love it i love that well that's Secret another society. one too where it's just like no, I, if you see all the conglomerated corporations, you're just like, no, I can believe that there's like 10 people controlling most of the wealth. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's feasible now. Yeah, totally. I get sucked in. There's people who commit to like making YouTube channels about that stuff. And I'm like, and some of it is just like so off the wall, but, they, yeah. but they're so committed to it. They're like, don't you see the number three in Beyonce's is. like pendant that she's like, Oh man, that's next level. <laughs> oh, and like all the symbols that are the symbols, still on the yeah. money. And, yeah, 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 yeah. All that stuff. <laughs> I could talk about this for hours. <laughs> yeah, but I don't want to infringe on your own no, podcast. No. We'll have to pick this up in we'll a separate. We'll have to pick it up. Yeah. It'll be a crossover podcast for sure. like Flintstones Meet the Jetsons. That's right. Yeah, a little spinoff. Um, but I feel like I have to tie one thing up. Yeah. Which is even weird to say as a sentence. Are you and God good? <laughs> Oh, that's such a great question, actually. Yeah, without, I think that's the question that no one has actually asked me specifically. Are you and God good? Um, uh, and that's loaded because, in short, yes, but I don't really believe in that the way I used to. And right. I think that, yeah, I think me and God are good. I don't think, me and, I don't think that God is like who I thought it was. I don't believe in that, I don't think. But there was a time when I kind of like went away from Christianity that I was like, oh, oh, I'm in trouble like with God. Like there would probably have been a time where I was like, if someone had asked me, are you and God good? I'd be like, I don't know. I think I might I think I might be going uh, in the wrong direction. <laughs> Maybe he's mad at me. But I don't think in, in that in oh. those terms anymore. So did it go from like old man with a beard? Yeah, to, to something to, to like, uni like to more hippie like universe type shit. Like uh, like everyone is God. There is no God slash everyone is God. Right. Slash I just believe in like a universal force that's not a God or I don't like I don't believe in any kind of like blueprint plans of people's lives or anything. I think you just create your own meaning and attach it to things and focus on that and that becomes your life. I don't think anyone's like 
drawing your life and like you're just helplessly following it. Showbizmonkeys.com